This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we're excited. Another episode of Get a Load of This Trucking Podcast. Uh, as, your, as always, your host, Cameron. Today, I'd like to welcome co-host Ryan Young. He's a member with Valley Trucking Insurance. What up, Ryan? Hey, everybody. How we doing? And for those that have a camera, uh, as you can see, Ryan's adopted a Nelly look, like a 90s reference. But uh, Ryan, what happened? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I may or may not have irresponsibly dove into a shallower than normal pool. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, one of those things you can do a hundred times and it's fine. And then the hundred and first time you're like, wow, that was really stupid every time before this. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I didn't I didn't break my neck. Um, I just cracked a bone in my nose. Got to see the inside of a, of a downtown hospital on a uh, Saturday night so that was really interesting oh man yeah, I think we grow up with signs that say no diving so I'm oh, sure there there, I'm sure there's a sign there were signs everywhere that say no diving yeah and we and everybody was diving but <laughs> I just happened to dive a little deeper more, than everybody more else. more ambitious okay yeah. well th- thanks for hopping in we appreciate it leaving the yeah. the urgent care to come here to help record that's great yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm super excited, uh, uh, very excited to bring this special guest on with us today, Sherry Call. Uh, Sherry calls with uh, WTA or Washington Trucking Association. So I'm looking forward to this episode. Sherry, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. Good morning, Cameron. Thank you so much for having me, and nice to meet you, Ryan. I I, <laughs> I think go big or go home kind of comes into play here with that, <laughs> that nose job there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Sherry Call, the Executive Vice President of the Washington Trucking Associations. I've um, been with the association for 20 years, uh, last five in the role of association exec. I uh, advocate on behalf of the industry. My primary role is not just management of the association, but also um, lobbyist for the organization and its members. So, um, and we have a lot going on. So, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Awesome. I'm super excited. Uh, one of the questions that we typically like to ask our guest, and it ranges from actual truck drivers or to industry folks with, with, different industries that are associated with in trucking, what would your CB handle be? You know what? (laughs) I love that question. I, well, it gives me an opportunity to tell you a little bit about, I grew up in a trucking town. I actually grew up in a small town in Utah and my dad was not a truck driver, but I had several um, neighbors and friends whose dads were truck drivers. So in our, you know, boredom, we would hang out in the truck talking on the CB and my handle was tic-tac-toe. 
Ah, I love it. So you actually have one. This is perfect. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is amazing. Well, cool. Where does that come from? You know, I, I mean, my 10-year-old self. <laughs> so basically, that was it. And I'm pretty sure we probably shouldn't have been playing around with the CB, but hey, life lessons. <laughs> yeah, but I bet it was cool. You probably heard some interesting people because you're catching people as they pass through town or that are leaving the yard and stuff, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. What was the most exciting? Anybody. I was going to say, what's the most exciting thing you heard coming from that or like a memory that you had from that experience? You know, I, I can't remember anything specifically. I just remember sometimes feeling a little bit like you were kind of on the edge of a conversation you shouldn't have been, <laughs> shouldn't have been involved in, you know, I mean, and I've, I've kind of often wondered, do people actually still use CBs? Is that still a thing in trucking? <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is, yeah. um, especially in the rural areas. So, uh, you know, it's funny about that too. You mentioned that. So growing up, my mom had this old, I don't even know what year van it was, but it's the vans that had like the bench seat in the back that fold out to the couch and like the, the cross country rig basically is what it was. It had a CB. And I remember that thing always being on as a kid and probably the most valuable information we got out of that is they would call ahead. Hey, there's a uh, troopers up ahead. You know what I mean? Like giving, right, letting you right. know of the speed traps and making you aware of uh, what's coming up or accidents yeah. or things like that. So that's yeah. a memory that I had from a, a, a childhood memory there. So yeah. Yeah. I think they call them Smokies. Smokies or bears <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of terminology there. I smell bacon. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So Utah, um, what led you from there to where you're at now? Kind of give us a little bit of run through of your um, past, your history and ambitions to lead you where you're at. Yeah. Um, you know, I graduated from University of Utah in the mid nineties. I actually have a degree in accounting and I pursued that as a career. Um, shortly after my graduation, I moved to uh, Seattle, Washington for a job opportunity with a company at the time was called Tempris, and they were a small uh, plastics injection molder and a vendor to Packard. So we made heavy cool. truck interior parts and exterior parts and those types of things. I was there for about five years um, in progressive roles in accounting, and then the company was bought by an Ohio-based company called Trim Systems. So. That's that's kind of what brought me here. I actually, you know, kind of followed the path of accounting until I was hired to work at the Trucking Association in early 2000s. And, um, you know, the cool thing about um, the job is I, I had actually taken a break from work. And when I started interviewing again, I just wanted to find something that was close to home after having commuted from, you know, federal way to Seattle, um, only 25 miles, but... 25 arduous miles in traffic and everything else. So when I started to look for a job again, I just wanted something close to home. And it was four miles from home um, and really had no ambition or no idea that I'd, I'd actually be considered for this role. But um, when my predecessor decided it was getting time to retire, I had an opportunity to shadow him for three years, which, um, you know, honestly, it was just probably the best three years of both of our careers. <laughs> and, That's great. um, yeah, and here I am. 
Nice. Yeah. And I think if you miss that window of travel by like 10 minutes, it adds what, like an hour to the commute as far as that. I know Ryan oh, lived over there. Yeah. I used to live in Tacoma and going to and from Seattle on a Friday or a Friday night or a Monday morning was like a three hour drive. Mm-hmm. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I commuted enough to observe that even like the major construction projects when they, when they did the South Center, you know, ex- you know, expansion of the freeway at South Center, it really didn't fix the bottlenecks. It just moved them, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that was... whole section of I-5 near the Tacoma Dome has apparently been being worked on for like 15 years and it's never stopped. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you never really it's... know what's going on. <laughs> I, I think it's in phase 19. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I grew up doing that. Now the beauty is, is with technology and a little bit of forced action from COVID and the pandemic is allowing remote capabilities for work, um, which I think has added a dynamic uh, value to some, but I think it could be a detriment to others, depending on the personality type of working from home, not in an office or team environment. And it's definitely not the job you signed up for if you were forced to go home. So... Uh, how has it changed or evolved, uh, Sherry, from the early days in 03 and let's just say, you know, fast forward five years, a decade till now with the progression of uh, the Trucking Association from your perspective and point of view? You know, I mean, I, I consider as first and foremost an advocacy organization. And so, I mean, that's a really, really good question. Um, our legislature has made a complete um change to where we had what I would call some balance um, in uh, legislature in terms of, you know, one, at least one house with Republican majority, the other house with Democrat majority, of course, um, have had a Democrat in the governor's seat since I believe the mid 80s. So it's been a long, (laughs) long time. Um, I, I believe that I'm not to say anything bad about my predecessor, but I believe he knew what he was doing when he retired because right about the time he retired, um, that election year became, um, triple D Democrat, what I call (laughs) trifecta. And that's, you know, it's, it's honestly changed the landscape quite a bit for us. Um, you know, building new relationships and trying to figure out, those folks that have an appreciation for trucking in the legislative arena because everything they do um, has an impact on us. And there's not a whole lot of understanding, um, I think, until probably recently exactly how important the trucking industry is in our lives, in our economy, uh, and everything else. Can you maybe, without, I guess, getting too partisan, (laughs) Uh, maybe go into the conversation about what over the last 30 to 40 years has really changed or how the policies have been impacted by current leadership or the, you know, I guess the leadership party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me not to get too partisan. Try not to, yeah. to be. And, you know, it's a good thing you brought that up. We are an organization that has been in existence since 1922. So we are oh, wow. about to celebrate our 100-year anniversary. When we were in the process of moving a couple of years ago in 2015, I believe we moved our office, we were cleaning out our storeroom, and I found a letter from the the association president at the time written in 1931. And honestly, to read it, I mean, the writing is much more eloquent than I think we, we have, you know, we write today, but 
many of the issues were very much the same. I mean, they were worried about regulation. They were worried about highway infrastructure. They were worried about wages, jobs. Um, many of the things that we still worry about today were, were things that they worried about, obviously in a different context. I think what we're seeing now that makes it exciting for us and really challenging and daunting for us at the, at the same time is a technological revolution going on in the industry that we may have seen back in the 30s and 40s um, uh, to some degree, but now we're doing it in, a, in an age where we're morphing, you know, honestly from internal combustion and engine to potentially zero emission uh, future um, and talking about the buildup of the infrastructure to support that future um, industry buy-in on on those concepts. There's there's just a whole lot that's happened really in the last hundred years, and and really it's kind of coming full circle. That's amazing, and uh, history repeats itself. I think a lot. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Sherry, uh, or your point of view. I think probably one of the biggest things that I'm thankful that this organization does, the WTA that you're a part of, is the relationship building and keeping in contact with the correct officials and making sure that the agendas are heard, making sure that what is important to the truck community, um, and that trickles down to the public, that trickles down to the transit system, the infrastructure, everything, as you had mentioned earlier, is impacted by truckers, right? We wouldn't be on this podcast without a truck, um, from the desk to the to webcam to computers to everything, um, or even utilities. You know, I think utilities, for the most part, would have been ran by a truck, train and truck, um, back in the day when the infrastructure was being uh, built. So um, <clears throat> is that is that pretty accurate on that as far as the relationship? Is that a large part of what the association is 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 doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we we advocate at all levels. I mean, we we've just recently added two new staff members. So we're able to cover a lot more ground. We find that uh, a lot of things are happening more at the local, uh, you know, city level. Um, that if we aren't staying on top of it, we're kind of getting overrun as an industry. Um, you know, we have cities that are very aggressive in uh, taking what are traditional freight um, corridors and turning them into bike lanes and those types of things. So those are things that we're heavily concerned about and heavily involved with um, right now. You know, it's we are a significant industry. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So our relationships at all levels, whether it's state agency or, um, you know, legislative elected, uh, folks is, are highly, highly important for our, our membership and our industry. Absolutely. How realistic are the ambitions with like the go green initiatives? And I know that it's kind of a trickle down California is implemented and they're kind of the trailblazers. I feel like in that arena, and we usually follow suit, uh, uh, from what I see, um, are they receptive to the reality? Like, is it a realistic expectation for them to go completely green in the transportation arena? You know, I I think it's realistic if we give the industry time to adjust and adapt. I I, I mean, I, I think the thing that I find um, most frustrating for me is lack of understanding of the diversity of the industry. And I'm talking in, you know, log truck hauling and dump truck and long yeah. haul. I mean, these are all very, very different things that have all very, very different needs when you're talking about zero emission, autonomous vehicles, whatever you might be talking about. So, um, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, again, those relationships are important and making sure that, that we're sending those messages that, that people understand. Also, you know, I mean, I believe market, I believe in market forces and I believe that market, the market will take care of itself. Um, I believe when our companies can make a business case to adopt zero emission, that will absolutely happen. I mean, there, there are people that are really driving this um, need to transition the, the transportation, um, I, I guess, aspect of our society towards zero emission. And I appreciate that. I don't think that anyone denies that that will happen and needs to happen. Um, but pushing it forward uh, too hard, too fast uh, for this industry is not necessarily a good thing. It, it just uh, turns people off and scares them away. Um, I actually, a couple weeks ago was down in Portland and I got to drive a fully electric, um, semi truck and How you know, was it? it was pretty awesome. Actually. I mean, it's, it's very responsive. Of course it wasn't fully loaded. It didn't have a trailer right. attached to it or anything else, right. but, um, they're pretty awesome vehicles. And I can imagine that, you know, something that I've heard drivers are going to have to get used to is not hearing the hum of the engine. But at the same time, you know, you, you can be much more aware of other things and hopefully uh, not hearing the hum of the engine will cut down on driver fatigue and those types of things. But the, the trucks are pretty cool. It's, it's just that, you know, we're not in mass production. Uh, we don't necessarily need to follow California, um, who is, you know, much more aggressive than any other state in the rest of the United States. Unfortunately, we're in this um, kind of awkward period right now where we have several governors, including the governor of Washington, who signed a memo, memo of understanding for uh, 100% adoption of zero emission vehicles by 2050, yeah. um, heavy duty vehicles, I might add. And states are starting to follow um, California CARB uh, rules, um, New Jersey being the first to adopt CARB. So I think for us, what I, I suppose the message that we're trying to send is just, I, I don't think that the entire country is ready to adopt CARB rules. I'm not sure that the industry from an OEM perspective or from an industry perspective can actually even comply. Um, so I believe it'll happen. It, it will happen. It's just give us time to make a business case for it. People, I think there's a misunderstanding that we're at the same I guess, level of adoption as we are in the passenger car market and we are nowhere near that. So, yeah. And I think a, a good case to be made is in the passenger uh, vehicle market. The infrastructure is not currently there to support a mass adoption of electric vehicle from the standpoint of charging anyway, being the first. But then I think even take it further from there is in the event of an accident, for example, it takes a long time to get those vehicles back on the road because of the lack of available parts. And also it's a whole different uh, skill and it's a different set of mechanic skills that are required for people coming up that can be able to work on these vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, something interesting you brought up though, that um, I guess if you actually sit down and think about it, it makes sense is think about the logging industry, like you had mentioned, or off-road trucking or um, being in the Northwest, we have a lot more rural areas going into Idaho or Montana or even Oregon where how are you going to charge and what is the capacity of those batteries and how much, you know, what do they need for technology to work, especially up in the middle of the mountain, right? 
Um, so a mass adoption, I think you're right. It's going to take a lot more um, thought than I think would even realize. And where does that money come from and how much money needs to be involved? And then mm-hmm. how long does it take to replace that entire infrastructure with making mass uh, adoption available? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild. What or go ahead. Well, if I can just mention another another big issue for us in Washington is truck parking, and it, it does kind of yeah. go along with the charging question as well. Um, Washington being uh, one of the most trade-dependent states in the nation, and yet we are 44th in the nation for availability of truck parking. And we're doing some things to address that. I mean, our legislature just approved a study that we're going to be participating in um, concerning a truck parking action plan, you know, things that can be done today to improve um, the availability of truck parking, especially in in metro areas. But um, when you talk about a truck that, you know, at least currently as technology exists, takes about an hour and a half to charge versus 10 minutes to fill, um, where are you going to put that? I mean, and, and how is the industry going to mitigate the loss in hours of service? I mean, there's just so many questions to be answered. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of productivity to be lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we're talking we, about an hour and a half per truck across the country. <laughs> yeah, we we can't bear it. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. We we can't bear it. Not to mention the weight of the vehicles. Um, you know, I've I've heard anywhere from four thousand up to twenty thousand pounds in excess weight due to batteries. So um, you know, that's loss of productivity. <laughs> yeah. Um, lots of questions. Lots of things to be um, figured out. Yeah, and I have no doubt we'll evolve to that. Everything progresses. People do fear change. But I think some of this this type of change in particular is going to take a very well thought out and strategic plan to make sure that it gets adopted correctly. So otherwise, yeah, now you've got maintenance of vehicles and the infrastructure you're working at fixing. Now it takes a heavier hit because of the vehicle weight and that kind of that kind of stuff. So um, what would be or what is one of the big initiatives or you can take your time to go over however many initiatives you want that the WTA is focused on right now? So one I'd like to, I guess, bring up is um, you mentioned California. Um, another thing that's going on in California is uh, in 2020, their legislature adopted what was uh, called Assembly Bill 5 to adopt the um, ABC test to determine uh, status of an independent contractor, and not just for trucking, but for many industries, um, that ABC test basically eliminates the use of an independent contractor in trucking. If you're an independent truck driver, you cannot be hired by a company that does the same thing that you do, basically. So um, this is a a model that's been used by trucking since the dawn of time. I mean, as, as you well know, it's expensive to invest in equipment, trucking, and freight. Um, The nature of it can be cyclical. cyclical. And independent contracting has been a pathway for for many um, first-generation Americans, not to mention, you know, 100 years ago, um, folks that bought a single truck and ended up, uh, you know, with 1,500 or 2,000 trucks by the time companies were sold. So... Defending the independent contractor model in trucking is something that um, is high on our priority list. Um, we California has just uh, filed their petition with the U.S. Supreme Court uh, for review of um, uh, their case. And um, my 40, 49 other state colleagues basically have joined 
in uh, uh, amicus brief, uh, basically, and we're in the process of creating that right now so that we can send our message from all 49 states that we support, um, you know, California's initiative to um, advocate for federal preemption of the independent contractor model so that we can keep moving um, and keep moving, you know, freight at the at the current levels and even increased levels as we do and and still provide those opportunities for folks that are um, uh, living the American dream, running their own business. And, and um, so that's, you know, one of the issues that's kind of trending for us right now. Um, one of the initiatives overall in the industry that um, I think we're kind of looking at on a state-by-state -state basis is um, liability reform. Um, some states have a whole lot more um, opportunity to have impact on those than other states. Washington happens to be one of those states that we we don't have a lot, whole lot of opportunity legislatively. I mean, there's a few low-hanging fruit items that, that we could uh, pursue, but um, whether or not we'd be successful um, is another question. So we're kind of looking actually to people like you, our insurance carriers, to, to kind of help us figure out what is driving um, insurance rates. I mean, we've had members yeah. that have reported, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollar increases, and it looks like we're going to be facing even more increases. So, you know, what are those things that are going on out on the roads and how can we develop, uh, you know, highway safety policies that help inform uh, trucking industry members about what's driving insurance rates and yeah. what types of things they can do to help, you know, keep rates in check. And I think um, that would open a good um, topic of discussion and um, possibly some further discussion between, and I'd love to support and help that initiative because it's something that we um, take pride in doing with our clients is working from a standpoint of educating, uh, developing a culture of safety. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into it as far as complexities go. So one of the big driving factors for rate increase across the board um, as an industry is going to be the different um, venues that you know, your lawsuits take place, um, where is it held, held up in court, the increase of nuclear verdicts coming into play these days. So I just read an article coming, I think out of Florida, where um, the jury awarded like a billion dollars mm -hmm. from a single company. So a single trucking company in the event of an accident, that's what they ended up awarding. So a uh, nuclear verdict is coming into play. There's a, like reptilian theory. So basically, the attorneys are adopting a theory where they're basically making the public to be out the victim and they're talking to the jury as if they were involved in the accident or a family member were seriously hurt by this, which, you know, we don't take light by any means. But in turn, what it's actually doing is it's painting the trucking company to be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, had they not had this speeding infraction five years ago, they wouldn't have done this and they don't practice, um, you know, the best safety practices. Or if they just adopt the DOT minimum standards, are they really doing what's best in, in the public's eyes, right? They should be going above and beyond to basically make sure that they're operating safe, that their vehicles are well-maintained, they're doing their pre-trip, post-trip. You talked about driver fatigue. So uh, I think a problem, and I don't know if it's, maybe you can help on this. I don't know if it's as big of a problem as it is painted to be, is the lack of new drivers coming into the workforce. I think 
it'll tie in with your well, with what you're talking about the independent contractor thing because that's a great way for people to enter into this industry. If you cut that away, you're limited to now just company drivers or starting your own company on your own, which is a much harder path to do. You'll see a lot higher failure rate. And I bet a lot, lot less people wanting to enter um, just because the barrier of entry is going to be so high. Um, so those are just like a few things, but I'd love to carry on the topic with the association um, Q&A style with the members trucking, you know, everyone that wanted to show up. That'd be a great topic to do. Plus, we can probably actually get a couple carrier reps involved with something like, like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I appreciate that. We what I'm kind of conceptualizing is an insurance roundtable so that yep. you can kind of help us understand what some of the issues are and then um you know, combating the reptile theory, basically. I mean, if, if yep. people are being trained to, to work as, you know, witnesses against themselves, um, you know, what are best practices and things that we can do to, to overcome that? So Yeah, and that'd be amazing. That's a lot of what we spend a, a huge amount of time on is just educating more so fleet owners, but even the owner operators, because it goes from when they grow and you establish good habits early on, you now have the ability to grow, attract, retain, um, operate in a safe manner. That's, you know, cause, cause at the end of the day, I mean, we all see these videos where these, the four wheelers or the public are cutting off drivers and they're mad at the semi truck and, you know, they're in a hurry, mm-hmm. but let's be real. A truck that's hauling 80,000 pounds, isn't going to stop for you. Cause you're brake checking them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the wrong conditions or, you know, let's say a driver is fatigued, if they do hit you, it it doesn't end well. And unfortunately, um, even if it's 100% somebody else's fault, the truck driver is looked at as, I don't want to say a mobile ATM, but a lot of times it is depending on what venue you're in. So there's some states that are a lot more favorable to the public, even if Mm -hmm. it's clearly not their fault. So that's where things like documenting, well, it starts with hiring, right? Having a good hiring manual and procedure, um, a drive test, documenting the physical, like doing a DOT physical, but but even doing your own physical um, to document the driver files. Anytime there's an incident or issue, it's talked about, discussed, it's trained, um, remedied, you know, whatever that means to the company, all those things come into play when it goes to court. And, and if you've got a solid sound process and procedure and everything in place and you can prove that, it, it's definitely a lot more favorable. And it's not just the insurance companies wanting to pay out. Sometimes it's a it's a choice to make where it's it's less expensive in the end of the day for them to agree and settle on this versus trying to prove a point. Um, and they take a lot of pride in looking at case studies. And I know some of the insurance carriers we work with are they have their own attorneys on deck and they're very good at what they do and they're licensed in every state that they need to be and so you're getting experts in those arenas um you know that's what we try to help get our clients towards not necessarily the cheapest insurance isn't the best but you're also running a business at the end of the day so you have to look expenses you have to review the pnl and insurance is a big chunk of that so a lot of people i understand you know they want to reduce costs there but sometimes it's not not in their best interest so but yeah that'd be great good Good. Appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, honestly, and I'd, I'd say that I think one thing a lot of uh, owner operators kind of don't realize starting out is that all of those decisions really go into your long-term growth. So making a decision to have good hiring practice and focus on safety from day one, because 
insurance can be a limiting factor in your growth because it can be very costly. But you also, if you take the right steps and take, I guess, the right advice and initiative to focus on that early on, your costs don't have to be high. And that leaves more overhead for you to grow and expand in the way you'd like. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's our biggest challenge right now is really focusing on the safety aspect and mm -hmm. um, just encouraging people to adopt these practices. I mean, that's, you know, it's hard to persuade people when they're just trying to, you know, get their business going and they just need a driver and they can't find a driver, but it's yeah maybe detrimental for them in the long run to take that driver that has two speeding tickets or has an accident within, you know, very recently or what have you. So, yeah, and the absolutely. insurance company will have to evolve and also be more receptive to adopting different standards. So I know, I think anyway, Sherry, I believe I saw an initiative that WTA took on where they're promoting, um, younger CDL folks coming in with, I think like 400 more, um, CE hours or, you know, training hours in order to get their CDL. One of the problems that I'm coming up with is a lot of these insurance carriers, they're kind of set in the old ways of, hey, we want to see drivers 23 years old or older. We want a minimum of two years experience before we'll make them eligible to be accepted into our program. And I know that's a huge frustration on the truckers part. Hey, we can't find drivers, first of all, because if you look across the board, there's a lack of available drivers or the ones that are available aren't very desirable, like Ryan mentioned. But then on the flip side of that, I can't hire these young guys that are coming out because they're too young for my insurance to ex accept them. So I think there's some things that are going to change in the very near future. Once it's proven, once I think the model of, hey, these higher or these more hour trained drivers are actually driving safe, they're actually doing a very good job. Maybe they have some restrictions or whatever, um, but they're not resulting in the accidents that you used to see or like you used to see 10 years ago. So I know that's a big frustration, which I think um will be changed at some point, but it's all a matter of for the insurance company, it's actuarial data, um, young drivers or new drivers or people with less than two years experience cause accidents. I, I mean, it's, it's a fact. So how do you combat that? Right. And how do we get it to a place where no, it's actually being taken serious. They're actually getting the required hours and the training and, um, whether they're team driving or whatever, where once they do come out, even if they are under the age 23, they're safe and the public's safe, and they are being, um, you know, practicing best practice. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, you're talking about the Drive Safe Act, and I believe that it, it is emerging as a pilot uh, yep. study, um, and our, our industry is supportive of it. You know, obviously our, our board was very skeptical of it to begin with because of the insurance aspect of it, but we've been assured that it's been developed in, you know, in partnership with several um insurance uh, representatives and carriers. Um, you know, it's it's about increasing demographics uh, to attract new drivers, whether it's female drivers, um, younger drivers, um, getting those folks into the pipeline of the driving workforce before they're off in other careers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one avenue for the trucking industry. I find it very ironic that um, most people don't understand an 18-year-old can hold a CDL and can drive intra-state. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to drive across the border from Spokane into Idaho um, is not allowed. 
So you can drive 300 miles across the state of Washington, but but you can't drive 40 miles across the border. Right. So, um, you know, and, and those are simple examples. But um, I, I think, you know, the program is being approached in the right way. Um, we're, we're not uh, out there saying we're just a bunch of rogue operators that don't care about safety. I mean, we, we want to prove this as an industry. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Can uh, from the Washington Truckers Association, kind of how does the outreach go to trucking companies? Obviously, you guys advocate for companies on a very large scale as far as just lobbying and the government and working towards things that are better for the industry, better for the country, the state, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is there like an approach that you have to kind of get trucking companies or owner operators a little more engaged and involved maybe in the lobbying or in the issues? You know, grassroots, I mean, um, that's a very good question. You mentioned owner-operators. They're probably one of the hardest groups to um, corral or to engage. Um, And it's so important that we hear their voices, honestly. Um, I think, you know, the way that WTA is structured is very unique as far as state associations go. Um, We are made up of seven different conferences. As you all know, you're part of the Suppliers Conference each of those conferences has their own board. So they they meet as log truckers, for example, or dump truckers. Um, we have movers, intermodal carriers, suppliers. They meet as their own board, um, giving feedback to our member relations folks in order to kind of inform, is there something that's on the horizon for that segment of the industry that might need our attention in any other arena, whether it be legislative or state agency or other types of representation. So, and then those folks that are representative in those uh, groups also hold a seat on our board. So we have a very diverse board in terms of representation of various industry segments. Um, You know, outreach, um, as far as to the industry, I, you know, we're, I have a new initiative. I mean, this is very, very new because I now have two brand new staff members on board and I'm really excited to have a lot of, um, enthusiasm, uh, for, um, you know, our objectives going forward and, and actually staff to help with that. But we're trying to create a, uh, I think what I'm going to call it is Focus 49 Team Trucking. We had 49 legislative districts in the state, and what I hope to gain is a team of folks uh, who will um, be representative for their legislative district and reach out directly to uh, their elected officials You know, during times of crisis or legislative session or even just to... Uh, kind of help educate our legislators about the trucking industry. Um, it's it's become so important for us not just to have one voice um, at the legislature, but voices from all sides uh, amongst our elected officials. I mean, we we deal with folks um, in a lot of ways on a partisan basis, but it is it's very very important that uh, legislators are hearing from members directly from their district and especially if they're business owners because um it feels at times that especially um business is you know not uh the priority right now so right 
Right. Let's go to um, kind of more of an elementary question just for listeners, especially ones that want to get involved. And now that you're hearing, you know, what the mission is, I think everyone should want to. How would an owner operator, for example, or a new trucking company um, go about becoming a member of the ATA and kind of supporting the cause? Um, what's the cost of entry? Where do they go? What's the best route for that? Um, the WTA, hopefully they join the <laughs> Washington Trucking Association. Uh, you know, they can reach out to us via our website. Um, they can email me directly, Sherry, S-H-E-R-I, at watchtrucking.org. Um, we have a basic level of membership starting uh, for common common carrier, basically for higher carrier, um, starts at about $350 a year. Um, it is revenue-based, so uh, based on in-state revenue. Our maximum dues in that category um, on that scale go up to about almost $7,000 a year. So one of our, probably our most um, expensive, um, membership, but, um, you know, honestly, some of the best people in the industry, I think are amongst our members. We have a very, uh, good core group of, um, members who support the association. Absolutely. And we, uh, you know, it's, I think it's important for small businesses to join an association to make sure that they're part of the decision-making process, part of the legislative agenda, part of um, our advocacy agenda because we we hear from the biggies I mean they have the they have the structure in place um, but honestly some of my favorite people to talk to are owner operators I even have a member of OIDA that um, I talk to on a regular basis just because um, those folks you know the issues are different than some of the big yeah. serious business issues and and it's just good for us to hear as we go forward and try and speak on behalf of folks. Um, and that's what a trade association is meant for. You're busy, you're doing your thing, you're driving your truck and running your business. Um, every once in a while there's an issue that, that may get in your craw, but you don't have time to do anything about it other than complain. Um, complain to us. <laughs> yep. We can aggregate and consolidate those those complaints and that, that information, and we can move forward in, in an advocacy um, way. On, on those things. So, yeah, and, and it gives, you know, honestly, members um, the ability to move on. They can check in with us at, at any time, uh, trying to figure out what some of the complexities of, of moving the needle forward on their issues are. Yeah, so. I think it's great, too, because then they'll get emails that come out for um, the different Zoom meetings or the different agendas that are coming up or in-person meetings. I don't know if that's changing with COVID and kind of going backwards a little bit here. But um, anyways, moving forward, though, it's a great opportunity for folks to meet other industry people or other association members with the golf tournaments or with the, the regional meetings and stuff like that. So I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, it's something mm -hmm. that I like to talk to a lot of our Washington clients about. Are you a member of the WTA? If, you know, if not, why not? You know, it's easy. You should be involved. It's really on your behalf and it's a huge benefit to you. So to me, it's a no brainer. So, yeah, I'd, well, I'd like to give a plug for our active um, safety management council. Um, we have gone back to in-person meetings right now. We're doing a hybrid version and Love seeing it. how those things worked out. But um, we we have a safety management council. It has its own board. Um, they meet every second Wednesday of every month at um, 1130, I believe, 
Right now we're meeting at the Poodle Dog in Fife and, again, offering a virtual um, option for that as well. Uh, you know, the in-person meetings provide great um, networking opportunities. We feel yeah. like our Safety Management Council um, gives individuals uh, opportunities to develop, to develop leadership skills. Um, many of our safety folks have come from a position of driving, so they're, you know, very well versed in, in the industry and uh, what the issues are from a driver's perspective. Um, we try to come to help them learn more of the more of the regulatory aspect of things. So I think it's a, it's one of the most proudest things that, that we do, I think, at the association is, is bring those folks together. And the hybrid thing's cool because it just expands reach with the ability to do the in-person networking face-to-face, which I think is so valuable. And it's one of the major obstacles and challenges we have in this current environment. So we're, we're inching back towards it. And mm-hmm. then you kind of go back, but progress, you're going to have to go back, you know, so we'll yeah. kind of play the back and forth. But what's cool about that, in my opinion, is if you're not able to be there, so I can't just hop over to Fife. <laughs> I mean, I could, but yeah. it, it would be <laughs> extensive planning and a little bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could still get a little bit of that interaction via Zoom or video or, um, you know, that. So I think that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. So yeah. huge shout yeah. out to them. And I'd love to, we'll make sure we make a plug on that also with the links with your email, uh, along with the website. And like I said, it's something that we promote to our Washington clients in our database anyway. So we'll be pushing that. And hopefully people listening to this will be a little bit more excited to get engaged and a little bit more excited to put money to a good cause. And it's really on their behalf and it's helping them. I mean, this initiative for the 1099 thing is huge. I don't Mm -hmm. think I, you know, hopefully we can get an exemption as the trucking industry for that class or something. But I, I, I just don't think it's good as a whole because you're right. It's so many um, people coming from out of country, you know, immigrating in or new people entering. I mean, it's just a huge opportunity for them to get into business without all the risk. Right. And they're mm-hmm. able to reduce some costs now. Mm-hmm. And it also helps promote um you know, relationship building, because a lot of these guys, they can't pick up a load with a new DOT, right? Not very many people are going to work with them. And if they do work with them, they're not getting paid fairly. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I know a lot of these brokers look at that stuff. And so these are things we try to educate on and help with. Um, But that 1099 thing, I think, uh, and and we face it in our industry. So obviously being insurance, 1099 is a big practice, real estate, it's a big practice, you know, there's a lot of different industries, contractors. So I mean, it's, I'm very curious and I'm watching and I'm I'm hoping that we can prevail on that initiative. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just mention, um, you're kind of running through some of the other independent contracting industries that would be impacted. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a few bills at the legislature that were being heard um, concerning adoption of ABC test and, and those types of things. So these are things that are also a reality in the state of Washington and yeah. things that we've considered one day, Probably two years ago, um, over a thousand hairdressers showed up. You know, they made the mistake of holding this hearing on a Monday, <laughs> which is technically, I guess, the industry's day off. So, <laughs> thousand hairdressers showed up, and they covered every corner of the Capitol. Um, Good hearings, yeah, testified, and and it became it became the hairdresser bill. But it was very much an, an across all independent contractor yeah. industries uh, bill. So we'd love to recreate that um, for trucking. Uh, yep. You know, honestly, legislators were saying to me, where are the truckers? 
So, <laughs> yep, right. uh, anything we can do to get get a rally of, of truckers going, especially if we're faced with those bills again in Washington, which I can guarantee we will be, uh, would be very, very helpful. Right. Well, and I think we know where the truckers are. I mean, pretty much yeah. every trucker I talk to works seven days a week. So, <laughs> I, don't, I think we yeah. know they're either on the road or they're underneath yeah. their truck at some point in time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did want to bring up something. I know we're getting close to the end, but I kind of wanted to backpedal and really, I guess, combine a couple topics we've touched on. One is obviously the immersion of electrical vehicles and the transition that that's going to change. And then you mentioned also like a seeming lack of focus on like small business owners and the economic impact in general of maybe legislation not really being in their favor recently. I think a big concern of mine has been the transition into electric vehicles, which I fully support, I think is great. I don't necessarily know how long obviously it is going to or should take, but how our owner operators, you know, we know that electrical vehicles right now cost higher than every other vehicle. So how are owner operators really going to, I guess, make up for that when it comes out? Because there's a lot of money out there to help support this, but it's definitely going to be come, coming from the more centralized, uh, I guess, corporate structured companies. And how is this transition really going? Are we going to have like tax incentives? Do you have you heard of anything in this industry where, I mean, maybe the government <laughs> is going to help support small yeah. business owners making this transition? Yeah. So really, really, really good questions and great observations. And one that is very heavily, heavily, heavily on our minds right now is just that transition. Um, many, you know, small businesses, and we are. 97% of our industry operates fewer than 20 trucks, and the majority of those are operating fewer than five trucks. Many of these folks are buying trucks, secondary, third life. Um, yeah. Who knows how long it's going to be before we see electric trucks on the secondary market, if ever. I mean, we don't even know if that's ever going to happen. Um, these trucks are, you know, I, I know uh, when the Nikola truck uh, concept was first introduced, they were talking half a million dollars for that truck. I think the price tag has come down just a bit, but it's still a heavy, heavy price tag. And when you have folks that are used to buying trucks on the secondary market, they don't probably understand the concept of federal excise tax, which is a 12% uh, federal tax that's assessed on original purchased equipment, um, which adds significantly to the cost. So um, trust me, we are thinking about these things and, and figuring out how we can keep some sanity around adoption of these vehicles, especially for those um, in the small business market. Um, what you guys may or may not know is Northwest Seaport Alliance, for example, and not to mention or call them out specifically, but they're um, adopting in the midst of adopting their own clean air strategy, um, which, you know, has a lot to do with reducing pollutions pollution in and around the ports, which means it falls um, largely on the trucking industry. And for the most part, um, this is where many of our independent contractor owner operators are, are, are spending their time. So unfortunately, you know, I don't see it, if, if we can't come to the table with the right incentives and the right programs for these folks to, to be able to drive those trucks, what I fear is it may happen is is somebody who can't afford to buy a fleet of trucks and operate, you know, clean vehicles in the ports 
are basically going to end up taking over. And, and that's just something that we're um, desperately trying to avoid because we do believe fully in the independent contractor owner operator model and the small business nature of the trucking industry. Yeah, we don't need more mega carriers. That's for sure. Well, it's just, just kind of, you know, as as we know, economically, and I'm assuming with an accounting background, you probably have a better understanding of economics than I do. But um, <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, giving large companies the opportunity to build more profit in the long run really isn't good for anybody. I mean, you know, we, we've had these conversations, not to say anything bad about a corporation per se, but if we're taking away that money from independent operators, they, that means they control the market, they control the pay, and it gives people less opportunity to have financial freedom that we mm-hmm. talk so much about being the American dream. So I think there's a bigger argument that needs or a conversation rather that needs to be had about what the implications and consequences are going to be if we don't subsidize, you know, helping people purchase first tier trucks instead of, you know, having mm-hmm. to wait in 20 years for a second you know, time around for an electric truck. So I don't know, it's probably been the number one thing on my mind is just, obviously I'm happy for technological advances, but how are we going to make a smooth transition that doesn't disrupt the, you know, the order or the goals of keeping money in people's pockets, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. I I believe there's social economic issues that I I don't think people are anticipating right now and, and they all need to be considered for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know we only have a couple more minutes left. Is there anything major that you'd like to go over that you'd kind of like to send any plugs or shout outs to anybody? Um, Well, you know, one thing I'd like to say is just a great big shout out to the industry, especially the industry's drivers. Um, I mean, I don't think I, I hope this appreciation on all sides carries through. Uh, not just through the pandemic, but, you know, carries on into the future because, um, honestly, I don't know where we would be as a society without the trucking industry. I heard a stat um, uh, the other day. We had uh, an event where the state patrol spoke, and they were talking about road conditions during, uh, you know, the beginning of the pandemic where it was pretty much, you know, just trucks out there on the roads. And as a result, um, in 2020, um, fatalities are down involving commercial trucks on the highways. And not only that, but our statistics for uh, truck-caused accidents um, on the highways are down. It used to be about 70%, um, uh, 30% uh, trucking, uh, excuse me, commercial truck-caused accidents. Now we're at about 20% um, uh, commercial truck-caused accidents. So... You know, I think it's just a good illustration that the, the industry values safety. I mean, yeah. we, we, we value it. Um, we're making our living out there on the roads. Um, the worst thing that can happen is, is for someone not to come home or not to come home in the condition they left home in. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that we value. Um, and I just want to say thank you to the industry and, and um, just keep trucking. Yes, and we wholeheartedly agree with that. So, and I echo that. Oh, yeah. It's a, um, it's a thankless job. And you're right too. I don't think people realize a trucker would much rather crash and hurt themselves than 
hit a pub a pedestrian like hit the public or a four-wheel car so yeah. i just don't think people realize that yeah. unfortunately you do see it in the news and accidents do occur but it's weird you remove all the non-professional drivers accidents go down weird strange awesome yeah well we thank you so much sherry um we're so happy to have you on. I, I personally was really excited because I just love what the WTA does. We're a proud member. We are so happy to support the cause for this. And like I said, I mean, we will um, proud, shout from the rooftops, kind of have everybody like, okay. hey, put some money in, help the cause, help yourself. Uh, for me, like I said earlier, it's a no brainer. So it, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I think it'll be good for us to potentially try to have you on in the future. You know, we're just getting things underway, but I know that we're we're in kind of a transitionary period, I mean, just with COVID and kind of seeing how everything ends up on the other side. I'm sure we'd really love to have you back and yeah, love to love Great. to talk to you again in the future. Good. I'd love the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. And then kind of a parting question. Um, if you were to have one message and you had a billboard out on the freeway for everyone to see and you wanted to share some wisdom, what would something that you'd want to share with the world be? Like what would a piece of advice or just a belief or just something that if Sherry was going to share, what, is, what would it be? Oh, man, that, that really puts me on the spot. I, I mean, <laughs> I <laughs> it's very trucking centric, but, you know, honestly, um, it, it, if you bought it, a truck brought it. And I know that's just cheesy as I'll get out, I love but, it. Uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely true. And, and if, yeah, just that's it. I think it touches on all levels. So you got to be mm-hmm. grateful and thankful for the truckers and, you know, that it arrived to you somehow. Think about it. Right. So Absolutely. I think it's amazing. Well, cool. That uh, This will conclude the episode. Sherry, thank you so much. We're so appreciative. Um, Ryan, thank you for hopping in and co-hosting. Uh, everyone drive safe. Keep on trucking, as Sherry said. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks for having me.